Um, and today we're talking about the Bible. And you guys realize, let me tell you a couple things you might not know. Do you know the Bible in English is the most printed book in history? Isn't that cool? The English Bible is the most printed book in all of history, which is super cool. And then also, like, you guys realize that there was a time, and that's, that's the main focus of what we're going to talk about today. There was a time when there were people in England and other areas who only spoke English. And they might be thinking, that makes perfect sense. But even though these people only spoke English, the only Bible they had was in Latin. Could you imagine? Imagine a world where the only language you speak is English and the only language the Bible is in is Latin. And wouldn't that be crazy? Could you imagine going to a church because you're a Christian, you love the Lord, you want to be, you want to follow God's word and you go to a church and a guy gets in front of you, opens up the Bible and starts reading a bunch of words you just don't understand because he's reading in a language you don't understand. He's reading out of Latin. And then he closes the Bible and says, all right, this is what God says to you. Isn't that crazy? Could you, I mean, could you really imagine that? Like if you came to camp this week and every morning, every evening, we're talking about the Bible. If we, if we read it in a language you'd understand and said, okay, now this is what God is saying to you. Imagine the power that that gives to human people, right? Do you realize that that, I mean, that gives all of the power to that preacher or in the, in the context that we're actually talking about, it, or that priest. A priest would stand up and speak for God, would read words that were unintelligible to the audience, and then say, this is what God requires of you. What a, what a terrible situation to be in. And so what we need to realize is that we have God's word in our language, and that this, this is something that there are people today in the world that they don't have. And this is something that the English-speaking world hasn't always had, right? So my goal this morning is to show you the trek that the, that the Bible has taken to go from its original languages into the English language so that we would love it more and we would love God more, all right? So let me pray for us, and we'll jump right into it. Gracious Father, be with us this morning. Help us to think clearly and quickly and to love you more. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, so um, imagine this. Imagine a world where the English Bible didn't exist. Imagine that you didn't have, you know, in the beginning, it let there be um, our Father in heaven, holy, 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 for God so loved the world. Imagine a world where that didn't exist, where you never heard those words. And that, I mean, that would be crazy. But that's exactly, that's exactly where we would be if we didn't have an English Bible. Um, the, the Bible is the most printed book of, uh, in, in all of history. And there have been more copies of the English Bible printed than all of the other bestsellers of all time. All right. So let's just think about this. Just guess. Um, do you guys know other than the Bible, what is the most printed book in English? Guess, just make some guesses. Harry Potter. That's good. Dictionary. Dictionary actually is not even close. I thought the dictionary would be way up there. Nope, not close. Not Harry Potter. Harry Potter, that's actually in the top 10. And the, the series is like ridiculous. It, who else? But not the, not the most. Lord of the Rings also up there really high. Not. Twilight. Twilight, thankfully, isn't, isn't that close. War and Peace. What else? Narnia, good, good guesses. Warm Peace is actually the closest one so far. Let's think it's going to be an English writer. <laughs> Not Moby Dick. 
Charles Dickens is the writer. Uh, no, Christmas Carol is not right. What else? A Tale of Two Cities. Well done. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Yeah, Tale of Two Cities. In fact, here, you put that up there. Um, a Tale of Two Cities, 200 million copies have been printed. And the Lord of the Rings, 150. Oh, yeah. Come on. Goosebumps. Awesome. The Berenstain Bears. The Berenstain Bears. The Berenstain Bears are my favorite books as a kid. And I, I didn't know until I made this slide that Berenstain was um, S-T-A-I-N. Berenstain, like a stain. Did you? I mean, did you guys know that? Crazy. They knew it because it's their names. But anyway, um, they've probably known it their whole lives, roughly. Um, yeah, so here you go. Um, look at this. You've got, and these, by the way, this is just a timeout. If you guys realize that America is getting dumber, did you guys know that? And that if you guys want to combat that, you need to not get dumber. And a good way to work, to fix that is to read books. You need to read books. In fact, if you're going to read, you should read good books. Like some of these. Some of these are good books. Some of these are terrible books. I'm just going to give you a hint. Go near the bottom. The Twilight books, I'm just going to tell you this. This is just a rant that I have. Because I read the Twilight books, and it was terrible. It was so bad. I mean, Stephanie Meyer does a fantastic job of putting you in the mind of an insecure teenage girl, which is somewhere I never want to be. <laughs> and in, in writing it, she glamorizes things that are just super weird. Like, for instance, if I told you I was going to write a book, a love story, isn't that sweet? And I said, it's going to be about this teenage girl and this 65-year-old man. And he's going to be so in love with her that he's going to watch her everywhere she goes. He's even going to climb up into her window and he's going to sit there and watch her sleep and sometimes he's going to lay down next to her. Would you think, oh, that's so romantic. This this 16-year-old and this 65-year-old man. Mm, heavenly, right? You'd say that I'm deranged. And then I say, Whoa, time out. Did I say 65? No, I meant 150 years old, not a man, a vampire. Oh, that is romantic. See that? Something's wrong with the world that that's an actual attractive story to someone. And it's just terrible because it just becomes this love story between a girl and two guys. And those guys just happen to be a werewolf and a vampire. Anybody else think that that's just terrible? Yeah, you're right. If you think it's terrible, you're right. And it's just not good writing. Um, I, and then the, the Hunger Games, don't get me. I, I, the Hunger Games, the first Hunger Games was a, a well-written story. I mean, it's an old recycled story that's been used about 25,000 times beforehand. But at least she's writing. She can write well. The second two just aren't very good at all. Not very well written. Not even that good of stories. And then you go back to the, the girl with the two guys that she's in love with. I'm tired of that motif, you know. So, uh, But the rest of these books are great. I think, to be honest... Um, Time will tell, but uh, in 50 years, nobody's going nobody's gonna to ever heard of Twilight or The Hunger Games, but I think they'll still be reading Harry Potter because what she did, uh, J.K. Rowling was such a creative writer that she created a really consistent alternate world, which is the same thing you see in The Hobbit or um, in The Lord of the Rings. So, uh, yeah, so I think that, I think that you know, there's, so you, there's even merit in reading good fiction books, you know, and if you want to read a story about a vampire, read Dracula because um, it's a... Uh, 
it's a way better book. It contains the gospel. It's awesome. So do that. Okay. Um, but anyway, so imagine this. So we're looking at 200 million, 150 million, 100 million. Imagine if you took all of these books all that have ever been printed. Do you realize you still would be not even a third of the way to all of the Bibles that ever been printed? How many Bibles do you think have been printed in English? A trillion? That is, I don't even know if there have been a trillion books printed um, in, ever. Yeah, you don't have to raise your hand. You can just yell it out. Six billion. Oh, cheater. you just cheaters. Yeah, go ahead. Turn to the next one. Six billion. That's amazing. Your first guess. Whoa. Play the lottery. Okay. Um, I don't mean that. Um, and then every year, this is crazy. Every year, there are 100 million more Bibles in English printed. So that means every year, there are more Bibles printed than, all of the, twi- than, than the Twilight books that have ever been printed. And this is every year. The, 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 the English Bible is every year the bestseller. Isn't that crazy? For one, we should think, shouldn't the world be a better place? But then two, imagine if all of those never existed. Imagine if there was a way you could pile all six billion copies of the Bible on a big stack somewhere. I mean, I couldn't even imagine what this would look like. And imagine all of them were gone. That's what it would be like if we didn't have the Bible in English. The Bible, has, the Bible in English has changed the world more than any other book. And even today, I mean, with 100 million printed every day. Because the, the, world, the world is now speaking English. And this is what's crazy. Um, uh, we'll talk about this tonight. This is just totally different off the subject, but it's really important. Um, if, for some of you, you guys want to go to the nations and you want to share, go- share the gospel to the nations. And you think, how can I get there? One of the ways that you can get there is, is with English, is the English language. Because you can, you can spin a globe and throw a dart at it. No matter where it lands, there are people there that want to learn English. There's just the truth of the matter. And what you, there is, there's, a, uh, there's a program uh, through Cambridge right? That meets in study centers all over the country. There's one in Atlanta. You can go for four weeks, spend $2,500, and you can have a Cambridge certification for teaching English. And then you can be ready to go to the nations. So that's just beside the point, but you should do that because that's awesome. Why not? Um, But yeah, imagine a place where where the English Bible didn't exist. Imagine if the world, if that was the world. All right. So how did we get there? This is, this is going to be awesome. We're going to take a quick, quick nine step trip through 1600 years. Why not? All right? So you guys have to listen fast because my problem is when I start to get excited or if I realize I'm running out of time, I talk really fast. But that's okay because you can, these, all these notes are on the SWO app and uh, SWAP and, uh, and we're going to upload it to the internet in like three weeks. So um, the actual recording. So let's start off with the, step one, the original manuscripts. We had to have a Bible somewhere. So God inspired, literally breathed out God's word. We have the Old Testament, which was originally written in Hebrew, the little bit of Aramaic, yet from uh, compiled up to about 500 years before Christ. And then we have the New Testament, which was right after Christ, at, you know, starting in about in the 30s or 40, maybe um, to, I think, the 70 to I, I don't think that any of the New Testament books were written after uh, AD 70, but that's just, um, I would be on the conservative side there. We can have a conversation about that later. It's beside the point. But anyway, um, so the, and the New Testament was originally written in Greek with a little bit of Aramaic as well. And what's interesting is that at the time the New Testament was written, everybody in the world was speaking Greek. 
right? All of the, the known world was speaking Greek because the Greek empire had taken over, right? You guys remember this from history? And, uh, and that what's crazy is that during that time, there were actually two different forms of Greek that were spoken. There was like a high Greek, which was like the court language. And there was what's called the Koine Greek, which this is the normal spoken language of everybody. It's called Koine because it means common. Now, what's really interesting is pay attention to the fact that when God decided to speak his word in the New Testament, he didn't choose the high lofty Greek. He chose the Greek of the common person. That's such a big deal because that means that God wanted his word to be read by the common people, by us, right? That's awesome. So then you guys know that after the Greek empire, the Roman empire came and the Roman empire continued to grow the stuff that the Greek empire had done, but they changed over their language. So the Greek became archaic and the, everybody spoke Latin, right? You guys know this? So then, and then, so then if people are all speaking Latin, it would make sense that the most important book, the Bible, would now need to be translated for the first time out of its original language, or the New Testament out of the original language in Greek, into Latin. Does that make sense? This makes perfect sense. In fact, by the time that Jesus came around, um, since people were already speaking in Greek, they'd even changed the Old Testament. They translated the Old Testament into Latin, and they called it the Septuagint. So by the time, uh, you know, 100 AD had come around, everything was in Greek, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And then in 383, Jerome, St. Jerome, what a cool name, uh, translated the, all of the Bible into Latin. And once again, the, there were two different types of Latin. There was a high Latin and there was a common Latin. And they translated into the common Latin, which is called the Vulgate. And that's why they call it the, the, the Jerome's version of the Bible, the Latin Vulgate, which is the same word we get, same word we get the uh, word vulgar from, which just means common. So once again, even in 383, when Jerome translated, he did this for the common person. All right, but then the problem came. Because from then, the Bible got frozen in Latin for a thousand years. And what happened was the, uh, is that the, the way that the world viewed Christianity also changed. Because remember, during when Jesus and the people that came right after Jesus, were they accepted by the government? No, they weren't. There was, there was official Roman persecution of Christians. But then, do you guys remember what happened? Then Rome decided they would become a Christian empire through one emperor. And so he decided, no, now we're going to conquer in the cross because he saw a vision of a cross. And so then uh, Christianity became the official religion of the Roman, that was crazy, of the something fell. Um, you got that? Anyway, uh, what was I saying? Oh, Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire. Okay, now in this, because a lot of people think, well, that's so great. Isn't that wonderful? Well, yeah, in one sense, because people weren't killing Christians anymore. But then the problem is there, there became a, a confusion between the church and the state. Because now the church had just as much power and was trying to wield its power in ruling, in actual ruling. And you know what they were using as their standard to rule? The Bible. And so the, the church really became super corrupt during this time. You would have, like you would have priests, and you would have bishops, and you would have arch, archbishops, and you would have the pope. And this standard that it originally started as to try to hold, hold each other accountable became a huge power structure. And that people would buy offices. We have record in history where people were paying to be the pope. Right. And you guys know that the Catholic Church teaches that the Pope speaks for God 
And so if someone's going to speak for God, we want it because we want it to be because they know God's word and they live a holy life, not because they paid enough money. Right. And so that's where this huge problem became. And the, the church started wielding its authority over people and they were using the Bible to do so. And they, they developed this whole sacramental system that was works based religion that they were requiring people to do stuff for them so that they would be. They would be considered a Christian. In fact, that's why the the, uh, the Protestant Reformation took place because there was there became to be so much corruption in the church. I mean, they were trying to buy people's souls, right? People, uh, the Pope, Pope Leo the ninth or tenth, uh, I don't remember. Pope Leo, I think it was the tenth, wanted to uh, wanted to build this huge this huge church called St. Peter's Basilica. Basilica is a fancy word for church. And, uh, and so he's like, we need to raise money. So I know let's sell people's eternal souls. Don't you think that's kind of weird? And so he would, he would go, they would go around. He had this guy named John Tetzel was a big leader. He would go around and say, I'm, I'm collecting money to, to buy indulgences, to get people out of, to get people out of purgatory, out of hell. Do you have any people in your family that have died? Yeah. Do you think they're in hell? Well, maybe. Well, why don't you pay me some money? And I'll sell you this piece of paper that says they're going straight to heaven. I mean, that crazy. And they were, they were using, they were saying, this is what the Bible says. Now, imagine you're in that situation and someone's telling you, if you pay me this money, I can get your grandma out of hell. And then they said, this is what the Bible says. Well, today, you know what we would do? How would you check it? You'd read the Bible because you can do that because it's in English and you speak English. But at that time, they couldn't do that. There was no, they couldn't check what people were saying. So for us, one, man, we, we, got, we need to appreciate the fact that it's in English. And we need to do our due diligence. Each one of you, you, you guys should not accept when somebody says this is what the Bible says. You shouldn't just accept it from them. And your student pastor and your pastors will agree with me because it's not like I'm saying you need to not trust your pastor or your student pastor. I'm saying you need to check and make sure that what they're saying is from God's word because you need to know the answers from the Bible for yourself. Now, hopefully, if your pastor, your youth pastor is doing what they're supposed to be doing, they're saying, here, read this. This is what the Bible is saying. Then you can just point right to it and be like, oh, yeah, that is what it's saying. Because you can understand it, right? So the, the Bible got frozen in Latin. And then we see, which really great, another step is the illuminated copies. I, I, kept, I put this in there because you need to know that even though people weren't able to read the Bible, um, there was a lot of, there were monks and there were priests who were in these monasteries that they were continuing to make copies so that we would still have the Bible. And then through God's providence, there became an, a worldwide resurgence in learning in scholarship and in love of the languages. And so then you get around to this guy. This, the next area we're going to talk about is John Wycliffe. John Wycliffe was part of this. He was part of this, you know, the, the Renaissance movement where he is now um, getting to feed off of people who now love, the, love old languages. And so he did learn Latin. And so because he learned Latin and he started reading the Latin Bible, he realized, oh, we need, common people need to hear this because this is different than what the church is teaching. And so he started, he, uh, he became a, uh, we call him the morning star of the Reformation because he came before the, the real Reformation but laid a foundation for it. He was born in 1324. He became a professor at Merton College, which is in Oxford, which is awesome. I mean, we're talking, this guy's brilliant. He even became the chaplain for the king. But then his work in translating the Bible uh, into English the church got upset because it contradicted stuff that they were teaching because they were teaching things that weren't in the Bible, right? Does that make sense? And so they convicted him of heresy. 
and they, they, and he got kicked out of the church. And, and so he, then he decided he was just going to translate the Bible for everybody. And so he's translating from the Latin because he didn't know Greek or Hebrew, but he didn't know Latin. And he knew that what the church was teaching wasn't faithful to even the Latin scriptures that they had. So he translated all of this. He translated the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation into English. Wow. I mean, for, and he, and he did so not with a computer and Rosetta Stone, but by writing it out. And now, isn't that crazy? How many of you have written out the entire Bible by hand? Yeah. And this guy took it from Latin and wrote it in English by hand. And he did so much that he and his followers, they call them the Lollards, they, they, put the, they put the Bible into almost every home into England. In fact, people said that you couldn't go to a house where there wasn't a Wycliffe Testament. Super cool, right? And so this, then they were all handwritten copies. They were translated from, the, they're not from the Greek, but from the Latin Vulgate. And that's what's something that's really important. We, I need to pause here for just a second and be really thankful for what Wycliffe did, but to understand that this isn't the best translation. Right? Because if it was originally in Greek and then it went into Latin and now taken from Latin into English, this isn't the ideal situation. Ideally, it would go straight from, speaking of the New Testament, it would go straight from Greek into English, right? But he didn't know Greek, he knew Latin, so he translated from Latin into English, right? You guys understand how this, this still contains God's word because it's still faithful to the main points of what's being said, but it wouldn't be the, it doesn't give us a close representation of the exact words that God used. Does that make sense? All right, so let me give you an example. Some of you are like, I don't know. Imagine this, that you guys are two Spanish classes, and uh, I give you, because, you know, Spanish is also a language, and um, I'm surprised you didn't know that. Um, And suppose I have, like, just a one-page essay, and I give it to you guys. It's in Spanish, and I say, okay, guys, I want you to translate this Spanish uh, essay into English. And so you guys all work together, try to find the, because, you know, every time you translate from one language to another, every word will have different words that it can be translated in. You know, like just, I mean, same thing. So like if, uh, you know, if if like, oh, this word means one of these things, right? So you guys pick and decide, well, what's going to be the best word we use? So you take the Spanish and you translate to English. So I've got Spanish original. You guys give me an English translation. Then I give it to you guys, another Spanish class. And I say, okay, you guys take this and translate into Spanish. Seems pretty easy. At the end of, at the end of that exercise, you guys all work together, translate it back into Spanish. Am I going to have two exact copies? No. Are they going to say basically the same thing? Yeah, absolutely. So is it still a good idea to translate? Is it still, are we still super thankful that Wycliffe translated from Latin to, to English? Oh, yeah, because the gospel. Many people for the first time heard the gospel from this. It's awesome. And so, but then moving on. Oh, yeah, and his reaction, this is crazy. Listen to what people said about him. This guy's name is Henry Knighton. He, was, uh, he, was, he lived the same time. He's a contemporary um, and that doesn't just mean like a genre of Christian music. Um, he says uh, he was a, he lived at the same time as Wycliffe, and he says this master John Wycliffe translated from the Latin into the English, the Angle, not the Angel speech. It's kind of like Anglo-Saxon. He's playing words. Um, he translated the gospel that Christ gave to who did he give the doctors? Uh, who did he give the the gospel to? Doctors and clergy. And that I mean, this guy's he's saying that God gave his word just to smart people to professors and clergy so that it by this means it has become vulgar which is ironic because we refer to the latin vulgate as you know vulgate same word as vulgar 
and that and it's more open to laymen and women. And look at the last thing. And so the pearl of the gospel is scattered abroad and trodden underfoot by swine. Who's he referring to as swine? Common people. Isn't that crazy? And so they're mad because the, the common people have the Bible. In fact, they're so mad that they start passing. After he dies, they pass these laws. One of them is called um, De Heretico Cambiorindo. That's right. It means on the burning of heretics. Where the English, the English church uh, passed this in order to, turn, uh, to burn Christians who translated the Bible into English. And now when I say burn, I don't mean like they got a brand on them or they got a little tiny burn. I mean that they tied them to a pole and lit a fire underneath them until they died. And why would they do this? Because they translated the Bible into English. Are you kidding me? That combined with these, uh, the, the Oxford Constitutions, where it was forbidden to, quote, translate any text of the Holy Scriptures into English or any other language by way of a book, pamphlet, or track, and that no book, pamphlet, or track of this kind, either recently composed by the time of John Wycliffe or since then or in the future, may, may be composed in part or in whole, publicly or privately, under pain of the greater excommunication, saying that anybody who translates any part of the Bible into English, either in the past or now or in the future, whether they do it publicly or privately, they are going to be subject to the greater excommunication, which means hell, eternity in hell. Because the church, remember the church believed that it had the power of salvation and that it could excommunicate you out of its local congregation and it could excommunicate you from eternity in heaven by sending you to hell forever. Okay, Wycliffe made these people mad. I mean, think about this. There are laws passed to burn people who did what he did and to send people to hell who did what he did as if they could actually do that. And then look at what they did to Wycliffe himself. Now you think Wycliffe died of natural causes. How could they do something bad to him? Well, several, you know, like 30 years after he was dead, he was convicted uh-huh, of 267 heresies. And then 44 years after he was dead, he was sentenced to a posthumous execution. You have to make somebody so mad that nearly 50 years after you're dead, they decide to kill you. And that's what happened. They, they were so mad that they didn't get to burn him alive, but they dug up his body, burned the remains and then threw him in a river. I mean, they, I mean, that's anger, right? And so then we have, um, so huge, we're so thankful, because now the Bible's in English. Is it a perfect copy? No. Imperfect, it's from the Latin, but now the Bible's in English, and now they can't stop it. That's why they call him the Morning Star of the Reformation, because it's stuff that he wrote that, that affected England. It also affected uh, Europe and the continent of Europe, because there was a really close relationship between, like, the, the king of England and the king um, in Prague. And so they, would, they had communication, and they got, and it was actually called Bohemia at the time doesn't really matter. Uh, and so, uh, and they would have communication so that the Bible was able to be spoken in a modern language over in Europe as well, even though it was English, which they didn't all speak, but they had a better understanding of, of English than they did Latin or Greek or Hebrew. And then we have the way that we see God's providence working together here is that Wycliffe, you know, he wrote everything by hand. Well, um, after he's, after he's dead, you know, about 70 or 80 years, and there's been these handwritten copies of the Bible going around, then you have this guy named Johannes Gutenberg who creates a printing press, which now the, the stage is set for modern translations of the Bible 
to be mass produced. Because now all the hard work is done once, and then you just print off a bunch of copies, thousands and thousands of copies. And so the first thing he does is print a, a Latin New Testament. Awesome, right? That's huge. Then the next step, now this is a kind of a confusing step, but this is getting kind of nerdy because this is telling us the, the, now we have a guy producing something that is going to help everybody translate the Bible. And it's a guy named Erasmus. Erasmus was just a brilliant scholar, one of the smartest people in the world at his time. And he, put, he, he produces in 1519 a Greek New Testament. Now you might be thinking, wait a second. You just you told us step one was the New Testament was in Greek already. So how does this make it different? Well, what he did was he actually took the original Greek New Testament and he translated it into Latin. But he did a better job of translating than Jerome did. And he and what he did was he made an interlinear translation of the New Testament. Interlinear means there's two different lines. So you've got a Greek original and then a Latin underneath it. And then he, because now, because of the increase in learning and understanding, they had a better knowledge of the Greek language than Jerome did at his time. And so he made, he basically put together a better translations of a Latin right next to the Greek. And then he wrote uh, comments on why he translated things certain ways. So what he's done is if anybody knows Latin, now they have a commentary on the New Testament that they can translate the Bible into any of their languages. So we see, we see that this is used by like Martin Luther to translate the Bible into German. And then we'll see with uh, William Tyndale, he uses this to translate into English. And so this is like a decoder ring for the New Testament where he's, he's make, he even shows us where there are like 400 different discrepancies between what he's written and, the, and Jerome's Latin Vulgate. And he makes comments about it and says, this is why Jerome was wrong and why this needs to be translated the right way. So this is huge because it gives us more insight into both the Greek uh, New Testament and then what, the Latin, what a better Latin would look like. So if someone especially knows Greek and Latin, that they now have a perfect springboard for which to translate whatever language they speak. That, you see that? Is that? I mean, this is a big deal. And so then, but Erasmus is super confusing because we see him love the Bible and we see him want to get the Bible to everybody. In fact, look at this quote from him. He says that Christ wishes his mysteries to be published as widely as possible. I wish that even all women would read the gospel with the epistle of St. Paul. And I wish that they were translated into all languages of all Christian people, that they might be read and known not merely by Scotch and Irish, but even by the Turks and the Saracens, which are predominantly Muslim people. I wish that the husbandman, that's a farmer, might uh, sing parts of them at his plow and the weaver may warble them at his shuttle and the traveler may by their narratives beguile the weariness of the way. I mean, he's saying he wants the Bible into everybody's hands, but he never joins the Reformation. In fact, we see him arguing with Martin Luther, and we see him best friends with a guy named Thomas More, who Thomas More killed Christians. Isn't that crazy? So, I mean, what's, it would take, next year maybe we'll have a breakout session on Erasmus. I doubt it, because seven people would show up, but it would still be a good idea. So we'll think about it. Um, but what we do see is Erasmus, even though we see him still on the side of persecuting Christians, which is crazy, God providentially uses his brilliant mind to produce a key to the Bible, to Bible translation. And then we see that picked up by William Tyndale. William Tyndale, man, William Tyndale was a stud. I mean, William Tyndale uh, knew, he knew the, he studied and became super proficient in Greek. He knew Latin. He knew like nine different languages proficiently. And, and he decides that he's going to go from the original Greek for the first time ever in history, a translation from the original Greek New Testament into English. This is huge. 
This, we, every one of us, you need to realize that if you read the Bible in English, you are profiting from the work of William Tyndale. This, I mean, this is unbelievable what he did. He translated all of the New Testament into English. In fact, we see that it's in 15, uh, 1526, he puts together a translation of the New Testament in English. And then he realizes, you know what? The New Testament quotes the Old Testament a whole lot. And so if I'm going to be able to write, if I'm going to have a really good New Testament, I need to learn Hebrew and be able to study the Old Testament in its original language. So that's what he does. And then eight years later, produces a revised New Testament with a better understanding. Because, you know, if you, if you can better understand the Old Testament Hebrew, then you can better understand the New Testament quotations of it. And so he wanted to be able to have accurate translations of the New Testament quotations of the Old Testament. Brilliant. And so that's what he did. And so in 1534, we have a second revision. And this is the crowning work of his life. Now, you guys need to realize that even though he'd become a priest in the church, when he started translating, the church convicted him of heresies. They kicked him out. They, and he was on the run. So a lot of what his work that he did in translating was done in Europe, running from the law, trying to get away. And, and the king of England would continue to send people to try to find him, to try to track him down. A couple of times they tracked him down, and he said, I'll come back if the king of England will let us have a translation. Just a bare, no commentary, nothing, bare translation into English. And the king wouldn't do it. Isn't that crazy? And the reason why the king wouldn't do it is because he was holding up the power of the church so much. He and the, the church and the government were together so much that they wouldn't allow this. Because they knew that the Bible would contradict the church. Isn't that crazy? And so then we see that he was, um, he translated the New Testament, the second revision in 1534. And then also he started translating the Old Testament because why wouldn't you? You guys have done that, right? So he went, he'd got, he got from Genesis to Second Chronicles and then the book of Jonah before he was killed. Now what happened was he was, he was betrayed by a friend and, uh, like, and set up, ambushed, and then taken and put in jail. He's in jail for about a year and a half. And then because he'd been a priest, they wouldn't burn him alive. Though, so they were gracious. Instead, they tied him to a pole and strangled him till he died and then burnt his body. Isn't that crazy? And you think, why would they do that? They're, they say they're Christians. And he's making the Christian document readable. And they're killing him. In fact, a lot of people got killed. And uh, there's a couple people here that are uh, in 1519. There's seven followers of Wycliffe, Lollards, that they were burned alive because they taught their kids the Lord's Prayer in English. Because remember, that's against the law, in part or in whole, publicly or privately, any translation. We got him, John Frith, one of Tyndale's closest friends. I'm going to actually read part of a letter from him in a minute. Was was burned alive. Richard Bayfield was arrested and burned alive just for transporting copies of his work. And a guy named John Tewksbury was actually whipped and burned in Thomas More's backyard. Isn't that crazy? It's fascinating. And so you, the, we asked the question: Why would the church do this? Why would the church burn Christians for having for having the Bible? So. There's a, here, can we switch the slide? The, the main reason for it is because the New Testament, when translated properly into English, actually undercut the sacramental system, the, the, the works-based system of the Roman Catholic Church. So look at this. And it, came, it comes down to right here. Like you've got, and first, let me say this. I do think that there were well-intentioned people in the church 
who were opposed to the Bible being translated because they thought it might corrupt the original language. I think they were ignorant, but well-intentioned. Does that make sense? I don't want to say that everybody in the church, that everybody in the church was, was a terribly, um, uh, terribly wrong and sinning against God. I think that there were honest, godly, well-intentioned people in the church. They were just ignorant. But look here. These, it comes down to the way that five Greek words were translated. Those uh, presbyteros was translated as elder instead of priest, which I, I need a quotation mark at the end of priest. Huh. I, you know, sometimes that happens. Lo siento. Um, yeah, and so with, if, when, they don't see, when you don't see priest in the Bible, it's hard to give all of your authority to a priest, right? And then same thing here with ecclesia, was translated congregation instead of the church, right? And it's trying to get the idea across that the original Greek word has to do with the local body of believers, and it's not like trying to have this huge authority in this ultimate church. So it takes, the, it takes that down. Metanaeo was translated as repent instead of do penance. Because remember, the Catholic Church, they would, the priest would be the one who would forgive people of sins, and then he would say, you need to do this, do this penance. And then when, when you realize the New Testament, really what it means by that is that you need to repent to God, not to man, and not to have him tell you what to, what to do to work out your salvation. And the same thing with exomalageo was translated as to acknowledge or admit and not to make confession. Because remember in the, in, the, in, the, in the church, the established church, you had to go to a little booth and make confession to a man. And here it's you need to acknowledge or admit before God. And the last thing, agape, was translated as love, not charity. Because for them, charity had turned into giving alms to the poor. And if you gave to the poor or specifically to the church, then you could earn favor with God. And this is not, you're not obligated to give money. You're obligated to love others. And so listen to this. This guy, um, there's a guy's name, uh, David Danielle. He's written, he's written extensively on this. He wrote a book called The Bible in English. And he wrote a book on William Tyndale. And he says this. And speaking of Tyndale, he cannot possibly have been aware that those words in particular undercut the entire sacramental structure of a thousand-year church throughout Europe, Asia, and North Africa. It was the Greek New Testament that was doing the undercutting. What set Christians free from the church? It was the Bible. In fact, if you look at specifically, because, you know, uh, everybody makes a big deal about Martin Luther starting the Protestant Reformation in Europe, and they should. It's great. Um, but the main thing that Martin Luther did for the, for the Reformation was he translated the Bible into German. Because at that time, Germans also couldn't speak, couldn't read Latin, couldn't speak Latin. Right? So translating the Bible into what they call the vernacular languages. This is the biggest thing of the Protestant Reformation because the, and both in the Protestant Reformation in Europe and in England, because there's two different things. We can talk about that later. Um, the most important thing was the Bible. Because when people were reading the Bible and understanding the Bible, they were brought to genuine faith in Christ and compelled to live as Christ wants us to live. It's huge. Um, let's see. Oh, and this, we need to, I need to say this too. This is just, this is just awesome. What happened when the Bible was translated into English is that the Bible became the most, most um, read book in England. And especially at the beginning because they'd never had it before. So they're just in love with this. They're like, man, we got to read this. And so they kept reading and reading and reading. And the way that the Bible was translated actually normalized and standardized the English language so that it became the way that English was supposed to be read. So in addition to giving God's word to England, he actually gave England English in the form that it's spoken today. 
Uh, that's what David Danielle says in his Bible translation. Tyndale's conscious use of everyday words without inversions and neutral word order and his wonderful ear for rhythmic patterns gave to English not only a Bible language but a new prose. English was blessed as a nation in that the language of its principal book, as the Bible in English rapidly became, was the foundation for which flowed the lucidity, suppleness, and expressive range of the greatest prose thereafter. What, what people, uh, history, people, historians in the English language will say that the, the way that English is spoken today is more influenced by William Tyndale than anybody else. In fact, they'll say, without English, there's no Shakespeare. The way, the beauty that Shakespeare used in writing was directly influenced by the way that Tyndale translated the Bible. Wow. I mean, he's the most influential person in the world. Because if the Bible has affected more, the Bible in English has affected more people than ever, then he's the one who gave us this Bible, then we should be so thankful for him. In fact, what's crazy is that when the New Testament, I mean, when the Bible was translated in, uh, by the, in the King James Version, which then became the most popular version of the Bible, that the King James, of the stuff that William Tyndale had already translated, the King James retained 90% of his translation. 90% was the work of this one guy. Isn't that crazy? Man, how awesome is it that God would do this? And what's, what's another thing that's super cool is that in Tyndale's final words, I've skipped ahead, uh, Carter, just so you know, the Tyndale's final words um, before he was uh, strangled and burned, he said, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. I mean, that's all he cared about. All he cared about was the English people getting the English Bible. And providentially, within one year, this is what's crazy. The same king that killed William Tyndale instituted that the Bible would be translated to English and go to every church in England. And that, I mean, this is crazy because what, and what he didn't know, and this is just God, this is the way that God works, is that he, he killed William Tyndale, but then used William Tyndale's work. Like the Bible that it's called, it's been known as the Matthews Bible. And the Matthews Bible is Tyndale's uh, New Testament and is Tyndale's uh, Genesis through Second Chronicles and Jonah. And then, some, and then they kind of had to fill in the other 25 books um, with a translation from the Latin. And that, I mean, that's crazy. Within one year, this happened. It's awesome. The next step is the Geneva Bible. The Geneva Bible is... Um, was the first, this, this is really cool. The Geneva Bible was like one of the most beloved versions of the Bible because it was the first time that we had had um, the original, the last 25 books of the Old Testament that Tyndale didn't finish was translated from the, from the original Hebrew into English. So in the Geneva Bible, we have the completed Bible from its original languages into English. In addition to that, it had um, textual comments about uh, reasons why things were translated the way they were and like study notes and verses and chapters. It became, it was like the first study Bible. Super cool. All right. It, it was so beloved that this is fascinating for me, especially because I grew up in like a really strict, independent, fundamental Baptist church that thought that God inspired the King James Version Bible before the before Greek and Hebrew and uh, that it was the only valid uh, source of scripture. But it's funny because when the King James came around, the people who loved the Geneva Bible so much, they didn't like this new modern translation of the Bible. Isn't that funny? That the King James was the new modern translation. I thought that was funny, but maybe it's not. And so anyway, um, 
the King James then, we see that's the, the ninth step. This is the, ni- the 1911, uh, I mean, 1611 King James. 1911 is actually a pistol. 1611 is the King James Version Bible. <laughs> anyway, Samuel Colt. Anyway, it's a different guy. Um, 1611, uh, the King James Version comes out, and the King James then uh, very soon becomes the most beloved translation. It's most well-read. Even today, it is the most beloved, most well-read. I love the King James Version of the Bible. I think it's beautiful in its translation. And that the King James is very, I mean, the influence of the King James. I'll just read uh, two, two different slides of Scripture. The first one is to, to show that, like, this is that most modern translations have mimicked the King James Version. In fact, even modern translations today, especially you look at like Psalm 23, they don't want to move away from the King James because of the way that the King James is, has recorded things. So like, l- listen to this, you know, ask and it shall be given to you, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened to you. In, in him we live and move and have our being. Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold of eternal life. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, uh, behold, I stand at the door and knock. I mean, this is these these phrases are so part of the Christian life in the way that they are. And then look at the way that the King James Version has, has affected the rest of the culture. The next slide, I'm going to read passages of Scripture that a lot of non-Christians use these phrases, and they don't even know that they're quoting the Bible. They'll say stuff like, um, I am, am I my brother's keeper? Um, escaped with the skin of my teeth? Saying, peace, peace, where there is no peace. Or they have sown the wind and they shall reap the whirlwind. The signs of the times, the law unto themselves, the wages of sin, the powers that be, the patience of Job. All of this, this is from the King James Version, the way that the King James has affected the English that's still being spoken today. And what's really unbelievable is both those slides, those are not just taken from the King James, but the King James took those directly from William Tyndale. I mean, it's, this is awesome. Um, so what does this mean for us today? Man, for us, we need to realize the importance of what we have and how many people have died so that we could have it. I mean, that's just the truth of the matter. We need to be humbled by this amazing gift that was given to us. You know that people, it's not just, I mean, I've mentioned maybe 10 or 15 people that have died so that we could have the Bible in English. But all told, there were thousands of people that were burned alive because they had the Bible in English or because they were translating the Bible in English. In fact, under five different monarchs in English history, people were killed because they were translating the Bible in English. The most, um, obviously the most bloody one was Bloody Mary. You guys remember Mary the First? She killed a bunch of Protestants because they would have the Bible in English or because they were translating in the Bible in English. Um, and then the last thing I just want to leave you with uh, some final words from Tyndale. Um, Tyndale writing to his friend, John Frith, right before he's being, uh, being burned alive. Listen to this, and th- let this be an example to us. Um, Tyndale was so absorbed by the Bible that in, in his words, it's impossible to discern whether he's quoting scripture or he's just speaking his own words because they're so, they're, they're so fluid with each other. And we, have, and we need to know that we have the ability to, to help to think God's thoughts after him because of his indwelling spirit and because of his word that we have readily available to us. And so let's let uh, Tyndale, let's, let's, let's learn from his example. And this is him writing to someone, getting ready to be killed for the faith. He says, your cause is Christ's gospel, a light that must be fed with the blood of faith. If when we are buffeted for well-doing, we suffer patiently and endure, that is thankful for God. with God. For to that end we are called. For Christ also suffered for us, leaving an example that we should follow in his steps, who did no sin. Hereby we have perceived... We have perceived love, that he laid down his life for us. Therefore, we ought to be able to lay down our lives for the brethren. Let not your body faint. If the pain be above your strength, remember, whatsoever you ask in my name, I will give it to you. And pray to our Father in heaven in that name, and he will ease your pain or shorten it. Amen.
And let's learn, learn from Tyndale and let's let the word of God change our lives. And we should be so thankful for men like him who've laid down their lives so we could have God's word in English. Let me pray for us and we'll have 12 minutes before first lunch. Gracious Father, please help us love you and love your word and appreciate it and spend time meditating on it in the morning and the evenings throughout our day. In the name of Jesus, amen.